to Dragon Ball Super Dope. My name is Kyle. Thank you for checking this out. So I did give you guys some fair warning last week, and it's kind of been leaking out uh, sideways in some of my rants over the last couple of months. Um, this is the last episode that we'll be releasing before the 2020 election takes place. So um, I have decided that I think maybe it would make sense for us to... Um, you know, maybe try to inform some people who may be not as informed as they could potentially be before they hit the polls. Um, it's something I'm pretty uh, passionate about. And, uh, you know, I'm all about democracy and, and fair elections. Um, that being said, obviously, knowledge is power in these circumstances. Um, so I've decided to reach out to my good friend, Gerald Nutini. Uh, Jerry, how are you doing today, man? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? You know, hanging and banging, making a podcast. Uh, Jerry is the host of a podcast himself. That podcast is called The New Deal. Uh, new is N-U, because that's his last name, New Teeny. Um, and you had me on last week and had to sit through almost an hour and a half or so of me just yelling about politics stuff. I I think you yelled really well. I think the uh, I think the episode was good. I, I was glad to have a new perspective on rather than me just, you know, preaching to everyone about my my liberalism nice to have someone else uh you know given a different perspective on what they experience every day and what they think of the current situation so i think it was a good conversation yeah we tried to frame it up basically as uh top five i mean you do you know uh normal news analysis on a week-to-week -week basis and you know you kind of cover things throughout the week on your socials as they go uh in this crazy uh, 24 7 news cycle that we're all um beaten over the faces with uh, but we tried to frame it as top five reasons to abandon your Trump vote. Um, and ultimately, the call to action at the end, I go through these five reasons or five things that I'm particularly pissed off about um, and, and things that have been handled less than ideally by the Trump administration. Um, basically, work through those five reasons and the call to action at the end is, you know, don't vote Trump. Don't vote third party. Uh, vote for Joe because... Democracy's on the line in a lot of ways. So um, I figured it would make sense because uh, I brought all my anger, hatred, and vitriol to the New Deal uh, that you should come over to Super Dope and talk to me about your five reasons. Uh, I don't know if we're calling them abandon the Trump vote or if we're calling them reasons to vote for Joe. Either way, we'll figure hey, it, it out go either in the way. show notes, right? You'll figure it out afterwards in post. Um, but before we get to the top five or the five reasons that you're bringing to the show this week, um, uh, make sure you go check out part one first. There's a link in the show notes, hit pause. If you haven't listened to part one, I imagine we're going to be referencing it quite a bit throughout this conversation. So for sake of context, go listen to part one first links in the show notes. will be here when you get back. Number two, before we get started, um, Borat just came out and I did re really consider maybe just, uh, ditching this format to just talk about Borat with you because you were uh, able to watch it before we got together today. Um, Borat too. I wasn't sure what kind of expectations I had for it going in. Obviously, that news about Rudy Giuliani came out a couple of days back and uh, kind of ruined the big finale ending in a lot of ways. But Borat too is. Uh, I feel like it's. I feel like it's a perfect encapsulation of 2020 as a year but also America as a whole, one specific scene uh, that we're going to talk about at the end of the podcast after we get through Jerry's top five reasons. Uh, we're going to talk about this scene in Borat too that 
It's uh, emblematic of America. It's beautiful. And I'm so glad you asked me to watch it because yeah. I, I was not going to. It was not on my radar. And I was like, all right. And I watched the first 10 minutes and I was hooked. Watched the whole thing. I actually watched it like another like halftime with Katie because I was like, Katie, you got to watch it. She started watching it. And yeah, it's good. Good stuff. good stuff, man. And I just like I said, I didn't know what to expect for two. But I remember when Borat 1 came out when we were in high school and how it it it's everybody talked like Borat all the time for like the next 10 years. I still do it uh, by accident occasionally, but now I've got a reason to start doing it again more regularly. So that's exciting. Right. It's relevant. Totally relevant. Um, so we're going to talk about Borat at the end of this. Uh, I guess the precursor to this conversation, if uh, you're not aware of what my political leanings are, Mr. or Miss Listener, or maybe you're one of those new listeners in India who just kind of found our show in the last six weeks. Again, welcome to you guys. Uh, maybe you just need some uh, some hope and that uh, and some uh, affirmation that not all Americans are completely bananas and that we uh, do have some rational political thoughts. Uh, we're going to be talking about some pretty sensitive stuff today. So if you normally show up for Dragon Ball stuff or My Hero or Godzilla or whatever the hell and politics is in your bag... Um, I encourage you to listen anyway, especially if you are going to be voting. Um, just, I guess, be forewarned that you might not like us at the end of it. And uh, I'm fine with that. I hope you are too, Mr. Listener. And Jerry, what the hell do you care, dude? <laughs> listen, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of your show. I listened to a couple of episodes. I think you do an awesome job. I don't personally watch Dragon Ball, but, yeah, you know. Maybe I'll start just so Dude, I can. I wasn't going to air you out to the people like that, but seeing as you just aired yourself out, way I'm an start honest off, person. Yeah, we got to start off on the right foot, man. Yeah, what, sure. What's uh, what's number five on your list of reasons to uh, say beat feet, Senor Trump? I want to preface this by saying that any one of these reasons can be anywhere on this list from number one to five from ranking because they're all terrible. But oh. my number five, my number five is Trump's divisiveness. Okay, um, I feel like that's a pretty broad, uh, broad term. He's been divisive in, you know, every opportunity. Is there any uh, specific instances or kind of divisiveness that stands out? Yeah. So, other presidents. So, so a lot of people hate Obama. Uh, you know, especially you know Republicans and even some Democrats didn't love Obama. But Obama never did anything that was like, you know what? Those people over there, I'm not doing anything for those people. They didn't vote for. Donald Trump comes right out and says, oh, the Democrats and the blue states, we're not going to help them. Oh, there's people dying of COVID. We're not going to help them. Oh, they didn't vote for me. I don't care about them. And, and so not only does he say things that are divisive, uh, and, you know, from a political standpoint, from a policy standpoint, but he comes right out and says, basically, like, I care about the 30 percent of Americans who vote for me. I'm here to represent them. And that's it. And so I, it's really it's really difficult for me to sit around and watch him because it's like, well, I'm an, I'm an American too, man. Like I'm watching the debates. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to vote for Joe, but I'm an American too. And, and my feelings get a little bit hurt. Cause it's like, okay, this guy is my president though. And all those people on the right, remember after the election, there was like that, not my president thing. Yeah. And all the Republicans were like, well, he is your president, blah, blah, blah. It's like, he doesn't even want to be my president though. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it makes me a little bit sad. Not that, not that I want him to like me. I don't really care, but, um, but yeah, no, uh, I th think the divisiveness is insane. I think one of the stronger points that Joe made in the second debate, and I want to ask you about your opinion on the second debate in a minute, but I think one of Joe's stronger moments in that debate was when he had a moment where he said, listen, 
you know, I'm looking to be the next president of the United States. Uh, it doesn't matter if you vote for me or you don't vote for me. If I'm elected, I'm going to be your president and I'm going to look to do what's best for all of you, whether you voted for me or not. And I feel like that is just one of the most um, or should be one of the most common sense stances for somebody who's elected to the highest political office in the land to take. But it has not. It's been the opposite of for Trump. And it's I, I think of when. Um, you know, states were asking for assistance with coronavirus and, you know, New York City is drowning during that first peak and Andrew Cuomo is asking for help at these press conferences every day. And all Trump can get back to him with is, well, if he was a little bit nicer to me, maybe I'd do something. Like, you can't even put your ego aside to try to, what, do your job and assist the states. That's what the federal government is there for, to assist the states. Right. He's got a personal beast with personal beef with the governor and he's like well, you know screw the people in new york i don't care about them they're governors you know i don't like them and it's okay, essentially okay. and it's essentially because not anything the governor did in uh, in particular but it's like he was mean to me my poor you know for for a um for a political party who throws out the term snowflake so frequently as an insult uh this is like the most snowflake president you could ever imagine somebody says one unkind word about them him and it's the end of it nothing's going to get done because he can't put that aside exactly yep and and it's uh like i said it's just kind of sad i i thought it was a great moment from biden in the debate too i was having a watch party on my facebook page and i've got some republicans who are really into the podcast and the show and they like to troll me but they were in the watch party and even they said like joe saying that like that matters that they were like it's a good line from joe and i feel like everyone can relate to it and that's just the kind of thing that kind of resonates. I don't think anyone likes hearing a president say like, oh, I don't care about them. You know, he, he, the, maybe the most hardcore, you know, conservatives. But I think most people want, you know, or believe in the idea of a united country. Well, what's even and you, you kind of just hit it there was, you know, maybe the hardcore conservatives don't care if the president feels that way about them. You know, that one third uh, part of the electorate that continues to support him. I've seen many of them take that stance. Well, he doesn't have to be a nice guy. He doesn't have to like me. He just has to do what's best for the country. I, I guess I can understand that stance. But I mean, if we're looking at what this guy has done for the country and what he's done for those people who take that stance in particular, he's done nothing but fuck you. Yeah. And, and you know, you talked a lot about you talked about the COVID response as one of your five reasons, you know, to abandon your Trump vote. And, you know, and, and that's not on my list. Um because you went over it and you, you did so in, in you know really good detail. But, but I, I started it there, though, for the sake of our conversation in part one, because it just it leaks into literally everything. So, like, I imagine your top five list, you probably put them together. And w whether we realize it or not, COVID does somehow impact all of the all of them oh, in general. Yeah, absolutely. But like Donald. So Donald Trump has been so divisive as a president that there is a group out there called the Lincoln Project. And the Lincoln Project has gained a lot of steam. They're huge huge they've, they've got huge advertisement dollars they're huge on social media they're all republicans anti-trump and they put up a billboard in times square and it's jared kushner with like body bags underneath him and ivanka pointing to the death numbers in like for covid in the middle of times square and it's a quote from jared that's basically like you know it's up to the states and if new yorkers are, basically are dying uh it's their problem like and and they're they're going to sue the Lincoln Project, Jared and Ivanka, and it's like, but this is the type of president Donald Trump is like, that type of like, oh well, you know, it's their problem, you know, it's it's gross. Um, and and so we've got, 
I think we've got a divided Republican Party. If we're being honest, a lot of people think the Lincoln Project may step up as a new party moving forward. They're really powerful, um, or, or they're certainly getting there. Um, so it might be the end of the GOP. We'll see. I don't like to make predictions like that necessarily because I always think the GOP is dead. But there's division, there's division everywhere. There's division in the country. There's division in the Republican Party. There's division in the Democrats, whether you're a liberal or you know moderate or whatever. And it's just not a great time to be an American, I guess. I mean, it's uh-huh. interesting, but like as far as like, you know, feeling great about your fellow American, like, you know, Borat was a great example. And, you know, I, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But like it is clearly evident that there are two or more Americas right now. Yeah. And what drives me bananas about I got to stop using bananas as an adjective. Um, what drives me crazy about the Republican Party and to, you know, a lesser extent liberals as well as, you know, like the factions, you know, that have kind of broken up within them. Um, so much of what the party has done for the GOP over the last three years, like they've just fully embraced the Trumpism of it and the unapologetic nature about it. And now that the election is on the horizon and things don't look so hot for them, barring some kind of foreign interference and, you know, certain counties and certain states within our country, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, barring those types of instances, because they get the feeling that the election's not going to go their way and we're going to see this big blue wave, they're all kind of starting to let things leak out or some of them are starting to let things leak out about how, you know, they never really supported Trump all along and, you know, how they've always had problems with uh, how how he's conducted himself and things like that. And just like sort of starting to distance themselves so that way when hopefully he's an afterthought and long gone from the office you know, six to 12 months could pass and they could be like, yeah, no, I'm just a regular old Republican guy again. I was, you know, that Trump shit was crazy, huh? Yeah. Oof, oof, I don't know what was going on with everybody. I, I came out and spoke against him. I'm on the record. Granted, it's at the end of the four years of that record, but yep. I don't know. It Like, where the hell have you been for the last three and a half, four years, guys? You, Lindsey Graham, you piece of shit. Oh, he's the worst, dude. Uh, spineless. Feckless, no integrity. None at all. Feckless. Um, all right. So divisiveness for sure. What do you got for, uh, number four? Uh, number four is, is global standing. And, and I don't think a lot of people think about this one too much because it doesn't affect our lives very much. And unless you are kind of tuned into like the news cycle and, you know, I'm always listening to the news like every, every day. So, but you know, since world war two, we've had alliances with, you know, Britain, France, the majority of Europe, and, and, you know, we've expanded a little bit beyond that, but, you know, UN, the UN and NATO, and, and, and we've been really, really close with these countries. They've been our greatest allies. Trump came into office he immediately, you know, he didn't protect our elections. He definitely cozied up to Putin in, in, a, in, in many ways. I mean, he's never been critical. You saw him on stage next to Putin, like, oh yeah, I asked him if he interfered with the election. He said, no, I believe him. Then we had the whole, uh. Kim Jong-un love story where they send love letters to love each letters, other and their yeah. best buddies and everything. And at the same time, he is, he, he leaves the Paris climate agreement. So he literally abandons like the majority of countries in the world. I mean, he's like, Nope, not doing it. He takes us out of the Iran nuclear agreement, which Obama and poor John Kerry, like put together over like years. Trump comes into office like, Oh, Nope, don't trust him. Uh, I don't believe that they're doing what they say. Like he's got no reason whatsoever. He's like, I'm out. And all the European allies that sign on to that are like, what the hell's going on? 
with this, like you guys led the effort and now you're pulling out and you know, they, they have enforcement issues. And then with COVID, he pulled us out of the world health organization. He's like, Oh yeah, they, uh, they're on China's side, you know, the world health Organization, And it's like, how can any country take us seriously? You know, in, in the early 2000s, about the same time the first Borat movie came out, we had Team Amer- America World Police come out because, like, America was, like, the world police. And we had this, like, high standing in the world. It was our job to, like, solve all the problems. And, you know, some people don't love that. But what Trump has done is, like, so far in the other direction. It's like, we're not the world police. Like, we're like the world mafia, maybe, except we're really bad at it and no one really pays attention to us. And, and so... Uh, the world's, but it bothers me because it's like, you know, you're told in school, like, oh, you're an American. You should be proud to be an American, like the country song, right? Like, and like, I, I, you know, you, no matter how much of a skeptic you are about America, like the older I get, the more it's like, yeah, like, are we, are we that great? Like there's some small part of you. that's like, yeah, but I learned in school that we're the best, you know? And so it just kind of sucks when you know that like, you know, especially now with the internet, you see like the Canadians laughing at us or people I play video games are like, oh, what the yeah. hell's going on in your country? And it's like, I don't know, man, like haven't been here before. You know, it's the so worst. It's, we, it's you know, we have some listeners in Australia, uh, you know, my buddy Reese out there. We talk, um, you know, general world events, not politics specifically, because I don't know anything about Australian politics, obviously. But uh, we have listeners in Canada, you know, similarly, who were like, wow. America's fucking nuts, man. Like asking us how we're doing. My friend, my friend and Reese in Australia, like I've been friends, you know, friendly with him for the last couple of years, probably. But when the wildfires were happening way back, you know, 5,000 years ago at the beginning of 2020, I would, you know, hit him up usually once a week and be like, dude, how's things going? Hopefully things are, you know, getting better in your, uh, you know, neck of the woods in your part of Australia. And I remember one week he wrote me back and was like, yeah, man, but I hear things are getting pretty fucked up up there, too. Like, I guess probably around the time when coronavirus start, a lockdown started. Um, our, I don't feel like we've ever had, like, a super positive reputation on the global stage as far as, like, you know, the dumb American stereotype follows us around, I think, pretty much anywhere you go. Um, when I spent time in Portugal when I was a teenager for a few weeks, like, you know... I, I was, you know, so-and-so's cousin, so I was cool, but I was so-and-so's cousins from America. And they were yep. like, oh, all right. That's why your Portuguese is like that. Okay, gotcha. Um, so I never felt like we've had that standing from a citizenship perspective. But to go from, like, pitied for being ignorant and dumb to now being pitied by people because they see that our government is completely inept and that they're like worried about the long-term safety of people in our country, whether it be for medical reasons or like our militias taken up and trying to kidnap politicians, things like that. Um, it's funny to see like how people's perspectives of us have changed just over the last four years since this one person took over. Um, yeah. And then you take a look at it from a more, you know, grand scale from a political uh, allies perspective or, I I don't know, Germany, France, those are the countries who are going to continue to lead things um, in, in efforts that align with more liberal causes. And I hate that we have to label them as liberal causes, but like things like climate change, <laughs> uh, like the Paris Climate Accords, those are going to be the, the, the countries that head that stuff up and it diminishes America's standing and respect in the world. And for what? It's because we have a guy in office who would rather listen to some nice compliments and words from dictators so because they know that they can fleece him that easily with just a few nice, kind words. 
and then they can take advantage of us and make us look stupid and diminish America's standing. Russia could not have done anything more, you know, to diminish America's standing on the world stage than, you know, if Trump didn't if Trump didn't get office, there's no way they could have, you know, done an, an, an equal amount of damage. I don't know if I just said that very clearly, but I feel yep. like it's there almost. So, um, yeah. Fuck Donald Trump. I'm on board with that. Yep. Boop. That's how you pop that one. Uh, let's see. Uh, at number three, uh, and, and I think people do talk about this one, but uh, he's provided no help to the middle class. I'm middle class. You're middle class. And, and all Donald Trump has done, if you look at his record, Donald Trump passed one tax bill. One tax bill. That's it. He, promi- he promised all this stuff on immigration, like whether you agreed with it or not. He promised all this stuff on immigration. He, he promised all this stuff on health care. He promised the tax stuff. He promised an infrastructure plan. He's done nothing. He passed a, task, uh, passed a tax bill that I've seen no benefit from. I don't know anyone else who's like raving about like, oh, look at how much more I've saved in tax money. Like I can go buy all this stuff now. Like it's had no impact on the economy. And especially with COVID, it's like, well, we've gone so far backwards as far as like how, how well people are doing. And it's like, but who votes for him? Like primarily lower slash middle class people, blue collar workers. And I don't understand, like, like you said on, on the episode last week on the New Deal, you can understand maybe someone voting from 2016. Sick of the system, let's take a chance. In 2020, what can you possibly say that he's done for you as a, as, as a politician from a policy perspective? And like the only thing that's there is like, you just like that he hates like black people and Mexicans? Like, like I don't know what other common ground is there. Like, so, so I think uh, he hasn't done anything for the, for the middle class. And, you know, maybe there are some upper class people that listen to your show. I apologize to you guys. Maybe you guys have had a great experience, but the bulk of Americans have not. So I, I don't understand how you can cast another vote for Donald Trump when he's had four years, two of which he had full control of the government. He had the House. He had the Senate. He had the presidency. He passed a tax bill. He couldn't yep. even repeal Obamacare. Like John McCain was like, F you, man. Thumbs down on the floor of the Senate. Like. He couldn't get, he can't get anything done, but he's the negotiator in his golden tower. Yeah, man. He's an idiot. The art of the deal for sure. He, um, so I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to say this. Should I say it? I'll say it. In the interest up, in the interest of full transparency, I know for a fact that after those tax bills came out, or the tax, uh, I actually, I made, I had more money in my return the following year. I'm the only person that I know in real life, I mean, at least who was comfortable enough to talk to me about that. I'm the only person I know who got more back on their tax returns since Trump has taken office, which is a weird thing to say. All right. I should feel yep. kind of guilty about that. Right. I, I don't. But hey, listen, if it works for you, it works. That's great. And then the other thing is he the one part of Obamacare that he was successful in getting rid of on the federal level. They still have it in some states. I think Massachusetts has it still, but I know Rhode Island doesn't anymore. Right. Is the individual mandate and the fine in which you have to pay if you do not have health insurance. Me as a pretty much freelance contractor type. Health insurance hasn't been something that I've always had over the last five years. So not having to pay that individual mandate was actually kind of nice for me, too, because I didn't want to yep. get thwacked with that. So I say those two things just to, like, kind of paint this next thing with um, 
I don't feel like I've been done dirty from uh, from a fiscal perspective by the Trump administration on, uh, you know, the macro level. However, when you look at it through the the lens of coronavirus, it's maddening to me um, the way I, we because coronavirus was the first one that I talked about on your show last week. Um, I did spend a decent amount of time talking about the financial ramifications and how it's crazy to me that we had the benefit of hindsight, you know, or at least the experience of countries who were further um, east than us. Uh, we have the benefit of countries in Asia and Europe experiencing the virus and seeing what does and doesn't work in their, you know, attempts to handle it and mitigate it. Part of that is the financial mitigation and what you want to do to protect your economy. And we saw a lot of countries in Europe, they put a freeze on mortgage payments, they put a freeze on rents, put a freeze on evictions. They gave their um, citizens, you know, a monthly, weekly, biweekly, whatever the heck it was, depending on the country, stipend, essentially because they know that people are still going to need to eat and still going to need to pay for their essentials and that their economy can't just come to a standstill. So why don't we just give these people money to let our economy to continue to slowly albeit slowly creep on instead of shutting everything down in the same way that we attempted to do for two full weeks here to quote unquote slow the spread, but then just attempted to reopen everything again because they didn't want to think about what it would look like after those first two weeks. They just wanted to think that it would get back to normal. And instead uh, it doesn't. Uh, we have mass business closings, uh, highest unemployment rate in a, since the great depression, um, what was it up to like 14%, I think. Yeah. Right about there. And, uh, what drives me crazy is that we have the one act that's passed through Congress, the cares act, and we all essentially get a $1,200 check. Okay. <laughs> Just like with the tax cuts, they're geared not toward the middle class. They're not geared toward working people. They're geared toward rich people and corporations at the top. The Paytech Protection Program is going to go down in the history of our country as one of the biggest robbings or stealings from, I don't know if any of those phrases are the proper ones, one of the biggest robberies that's ever taken place at the expense of the American people. So many companies that did not need that money got that money first because they, the, the way that they worded it was, and I remember following it so closely because I was working at a bank at the time and it was a huge you know, conversation piece between people who worked in mortgages because all the finance stuff is tied together, obviously. I'm watching the Fed increase rate or decrease rates every day to try to keep with things. So this is a big part. Of, this is a big um, conversation piece within the bank. And the way that they gave the underwriting guidelines out to be able to qualify for these loans they made them very loose, okay? And they tried to say that they made them loose on purpose to be able to let everybody qualify for them. They didn't want to put any unnecessary burden on small business owners. So the loosest of um, credit restrict or credit guidelines. Jerry, just to give you a, a my podcast business qualified to apply for one of these loans, okay? Wow. that That's how loose these restrictions are, okay? Um Anybody could have applied to get it. However, when they say, you know, we're not putting in these guidelines to make it easy for everybody, what they're not saying is, well, because we're not putting in these guidelines at all, there's really no preference on who gets, you know, the application taken first. There's, re there's, there's no room to not work out the preferential treatment aspect. So the preferential treatment is going to go to the people who've got the most money, who are always going to have the um, 
the high net worth relationships within a bank and the biggest portfolios that need to be managed because the culture of a bank inherently is to keep your highest net worth customers happy. So if they know they can put in a of application for a pay tech protection plan because they might have to shut down for two months, they're going to do it 100% of the time. Any business owner will do that. That I understand. But the Trump administration put these things in place or these lack of rules in place, knowing full well that these guys, their friends, will get the preferential treatment and the regular business owners who own the restaurant around the fucking corner are me, the independent podcast producer, Oh, sorry, you weren't here do, having a, a professional accountant or somebody from the bank doing it within the first 48 hours. The portal was open. So fuck you. We yep. might reopen the portal, continue to check back. We checked back all of us for, you know, for like the better part of two weeks. And then they reopen that portal, but only for farmers because the um, the the, uh, the deal to try to get uh, the Chinese to buy more uh chickpeas or something in the midst of like yeah. the china tariffs and the farmer stuff that didn't pan out so instead they decided to op- reopen that portal only if you were in the agricultural field because i wanted that free fucking money if i could have gotten yeah. it i'm not knocking any businesses for getting it but understand the way that paycheck protection program was set up was as a, a free-for-all cookie jar that anyone could reach into and the people with the biggest pockets had the biggest reach into there. Not only do they qualify for more money, but they're going to get served first before anybody could get, you know, me as somebody who could have qualified for $1,200, I'm going to be taken care of 10 out of 10, uh, you know, zero out of 10 times up against a person who's got, uh, you know, a $10 million loan up on the line. Right. And they did, um, you know, and it came out that like, oh, these multi-million, multi-billion dollar companies were taking out PPP loans. We had like pharmaceutical companies, like massive corporations, because like you said, somehow they found a way to meet their, but like the Trump organization, you know, they, they essentially, they, they didn't vet who took them. They, they didn't vet who took the money. And, but then, and this is, a, this is exactly what I mean about the middle class. Then you had the Trump administration and local governments being like, oh, look at all this, look at all this uh, welfare fraud, sorry, unemployment fraud. Oh, we gave extra money for unemployment, $600 a week for it. And look at, look at all these people that are, you know, faking unemployment. And it's like, okay, unemployment fraud is wrong, but you're really going to put all your focus on the people who are like trying to get like an extra, I don't know, a couple hundred to a grand a, a month. Like in the scheme of things, that's small, but these corporations that just, like you said, fleeced you for millions. Oh yeah. We're not going to look into that. No, we're not no. going to. Well, you no. know, whatever. And it's just like, okay, yeah, attack the little guys. And, and again, it, it's wrong. And it, you know, unemployment for every, is wrong. But. For every Chris Ruth steakhouse, for every Shake Shack that was shamed in the press who returned their millions of dollars worth of PPP, for every one of those, there's probably another 20 who skated off and they don't have name recognition in the press. And they got a loan and they're like, ha, 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 bitches. Getting back to what you said about the extended unemployment benefits, I feel like that's a part of the CARES Act that I was I was working through that time, I so I wasn't um, privy to that. But I think what people don't consider about the CARES Act and that additional unemployment money is that kind of similar to what we were talking about in Europe, like they need to continue to give their citizens stipends because they know that that money is going to you know have to work its way back into the economy for essentials. Part of the understanding of giving that $600, it's kind of twofold. One is we want to pay people to stay home, hopefully, until we get a better handle on all of this and we have a more 
robust testing and contact tracing infrastructure in place. That ideally would have been what we did, but we, we fucking didn't. So um, that $600 was sort of meant to bridge people to through that uh, length of time, but also apply them w with some additional additional money to be able to put back into the economy. Like it was supposed to be like a twofold thing. It wasn't supposed to. So for Republicans knowing that and for them to pass that and then to go out there and try to spin it to their bases, you know, welfare fraud or people getting paid additional money to stay home while all you, you know, essential workers got to go out there and don't make an additional dime. Understand that politicians were aware that that $600 wasn't just to like get people to put it in the bank. It was to get ec extra money back out into the economy. Uh, Dude, and I got so mad. You saw these people like, oh, man, like I wish I didn't, you know, have a job so that I could get an extra 600 a week. It's like, oh, my like these people, have, they're unemployed. They have no paycheck. Like they, they may have to pay for their health care out of pocket. Like and it's temporary. And you're like, oh, like like you're complaining about people like again, like. Uh, committing unemployment fraud and you're literally like oh i wish i were unemployed so i could leech off the government yeah like, we're, say we're saying unemployment fraud but it's actually legal you know what i mean in this yeah. case it was you know given out by the government and republican you know senators republican politicians decided to frame it as oh look at those guys over there don't look at all this ppp money we just robbed you guys for and again like the people who are like, oh, the essential workers, they're not getting extra money. It's like no one ever blames the companies. It's like these companies take all the extra money from the PPP. No, no one really goes after the companies. Then the companies that stay open and employ their workers, they don't give them raises. But no one's like, oh, Amazon's a shitty company. They should give their employees raises. They're like, oh, yeah, essential workers. Like, why isn't the government taking care of them? It's like because they're employed. Yell at the fucking employer. Sorry, I'm getting angry. Well, no, it's good, dude. <laughs> fucking let it out. That's what we're about here at Subado. But think about all the people that got PPP money or all the businesses that got PPP money. And then the the um, the stock market went through the roof. Why? Because all these businesses decided to do stock buybacks and increase their own worth. This is the only stretch in history wherein the middle class has like, you know, reduced their wealth significantly or overall wealth significantly and billionaires have just like doubled or whatever. I don't I don't want to say I know the statistics, but it's just so crazy to me that they're in a position to increase their wealth exponentially wherein at the same time so many of us are going through, you know, some really tough, potentially long-term financial difficulties. Yep. Maddening. Literally exploitation. Yep. Makes me want to choke a bitch. <laughs> but I won't, because that's wrong. Anyway, that was number what, three? That was number three. Wow. Moving right along. Number two, he's a racist. Donald Trump is a racist. So, straight up. And I'm so sick of people defending it. But like, at first you're like, oh, I don't know. And then the Charlottesville thing happens. And he's like, oh, there's good people on both sides. And it's like, okay, that's not right. But, you know, his, his supporters come to his defense and they're like, oh, you know, he was just trying to whatever and play it off. And then he's like, oh, well, you know, Africa and all those shithole countries. It's like, oh, that's that's weird. And yep. it's like, oh, yeah, Baltimore, rodent infested Baltimore. And it's like, Jesus freaking Christ, man. And then the George Floyd stuff happens and like that. And again, no one talks about this. Donald Trump did not go to any of these cities where there was violence or protest. He didn't go visit. He didn't go try to make an impression. Why do you think that Nothing. is? Because he does. Because he doesn't give a shit, and he's not going to be caught in the streets with with people. Like he he thinks they're like. Didn't he say something about? I think he said in a press conference a couple of weeks ago, or like to supporters that like he's glad like COVID's here because now he doesn't have to like 
touch gross people or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, and it's, but it's exactly the same mentality. It's like, he doesn't want to be bothered to go to a place where that he thinks is obviously dirty, obviously like, you know, not, not to Trump standards. And it's like, so you've got these cities, but he's all about the police. And, and even then you can go to the city and say, you're there to support the police. I mean, he could have played it that way. Yeah. He, he doesn't go. Want to know why he won't do that though? And I don't think, I think part of it has to do with like, oh, I'm above these, you know, dirty plebs and all that plebs. Some people say plebs and that bothers me. Plebe. Do you say uh, plebeian or plebeian? Plebeian. Plebeian, right? It's plebeian. plebeian. Not all plebeian. Day. Yeah. I've heard okay. it both ways, but it's plebeian. Anyway, he's above these plebeians. Um, however, it's not that. He is afraid. He's a big, what do they call it? Um, baby bitch. He's a big baby bitch. <laughs> so yeah, he's a little baby bitch. I don't think that he is somebody who takes criticism very well, which is why he insulates himself with so many yes men. And when he does have to go out there into the public eye occasionally, like when we saw him visit uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's um, you know, services and was booed. I was, for whatever reason, dude, I was working on something that morning and watching it. I just like came up on my YouTube stream live and it just was an auto-played video from whatever news thing I was watching that morning. And I just left it on and it was quiet. I didn't even realize the volume was up on my TV. And I just heard the shift of the crowd live as it happened. And those boos were just so, so loud. And he took the booze for like, you know, a minute maybe before he and left and got out of there. And that was the first time uh, I think he'd really had to experience like an honest crowd's reaction of him. Because up until then, it's either the yes people that he works with around at the White House or the cultist rallies that he's having, uh, you know, these super spreader events uh, that he's having at airports and shit. So I think. The idea of him going to a place where there's just some kind of mass violence, you know, like the murder of George Floyd and then subsequent riots and things like that. I think that he is afraid to be confronted by people who not only don't like him, but like will let him know that they don't like him through. Because, I mean, he's just he I realize that I'm going to probably undercut his totally alpha Chad uh, ego here, but he is such a sad little baby like he is the easiest person with the most delicate ego to bruise like it's it's really remarkable to me that we haven't actually got into a full-blown war given how sensitive he is um yep and like and it's not even just um you know public reactions to him people who have uh, within his own administration who have disagreed with him if they disagree with him, they, uh, you know, with the exception of Anthony Fauci so far, knock on wood, not that he's part of the administration, but he's part of the team. Pretty much anyone else who's publicly dissented with Trump, they got the fucking axe, man. That's it. Yep, exactly. And it's, it, you know, I have not thought about that before, but you're absolutely right. The only time we ever see Trump is if he's speaking at the White House or if he's speaking at a campaign rally. 
that that's it. So Which is no, ironic they're... as hell. And like the biggest example of projection, given the fact that all he can do is mutter about how Joe Biden sits in a bunker all day. I don't give a shit if homeboy wasn't a bunker. Boy, you are the actual definition of a bubble boy Truman show type show where everything needs to be orchestrated for you just to placate to your fragile little baby bitch ego all of the time. Dude, talk about Biden bitch one more time. Biden bitch. Talk about bunker bitch Biden one more time. Go ahead. Do it. Dude, I don't even I don't even know where that came from. I, I was asking someone the other day. It's like, where did the basement thing even come from? Like, I don't remember ever hearing that Joe Biden was like hiding in his basement. Like, the, did Trump just make that up completely? Like, ba- basically, when the lockdown stuff happened and they said that they shouldn't be doing stuff on the campaign trail anymore, Trump was like, "Well, that's stupid. I still want to do it." And Joe Biden was like, "Oh, all right. Well, I guess we'll just do stuff digitally. I'll get some nice cameras and some microphones and put them in my basement." And he started doing press from his basement remotely, as literally everybody fucking else in the country at the same time did so go fuck yourself trump jesus christ yep (gasps) so 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 yeah but so so he's a racist Uh, and 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 that's all that that's what it comes down to and like i said he didn't go to any of these cities he but he didn't you know he he vilifies black lives matter he's like he basically treats them like a terrorist organization he he won't you know say you know he won't lend them any support he won't lend black people any any support. I posted a video on YouTube right after the debate because one of the commentators on MSNBC, Joy Reid, was like, Trump wants the black vote and then he does nothing to get the black vote. Like, he just consistently pisses, well, but, you know, he's the least racist, you know, sorry, he's done more for black people than anyone uh, since Abraham Lincoln and he's the least racist person in that room, I so, guess. So, one of the best parts of the debate was that moment was when he said that Abraham Lincoln thing and Joe Biden came back with, Abraham Lincoln over here is one of the most racist presidents we've ever had in modern history. And it's a joke. Like, in the moment I saw that, I was like, ooh, good one, Joe. All right, Grandpa Joe. Dude, Biden was on fire, man. On Dude, fire that he whole figured, debate. He figured out his Achilles heel. Trump just wants to be taken seriously all the time. So when he says wicked, ridiculous shit, Joe just kind of smiled and laughed at him like, dude, do you hear what's coming out of your mouth? And it made, I could see him get viscerally angry a few times. But Trump not understanding that Biden, you know, was making a joke by calling him Abraham Lincoln. What is this you call me about Abraham Lincoln? I, I didn't say I was Abraham Lincoln. Dude, he just made a joke. And the fact that you don't get the joke makes me reconsider everything I've ever said about you and your sense of humor. Because up until then, I did think that Trump's kind of a funny guy with a decent sense of humor. But apparently fucking not. Or maybe he's yep. just doing the, you know, I'm an old guy and not sure where I am, you know, deflection. Which is, again, super ironic considering all the things he says about Biden. Yep. And and like, I, I know that we're not talking about the debate, but I got to say, like, the fact that the bar was so low for Joe Biden, like, for, be, mainly mainly because Democrats had like no faith in him coming in for some reason. But like going into the first debate, everyone's like, oh, man, all Joe Biden has to do is like seem coherent and he'll be fine. And here we got like debate number two. The guy is throwing like zingers on his feet. And it's like it just makes it that much better because we're like, oh, you know, is Joe going to like take a nap during this like you know not not that he is sleepy joe but like everyone was always been a little bit nervous and he's like up there like throwing shade at him at one point he looked right at the moderator because trump was like oh you didn't do anything in office and and biden's like because it was a republican congress and he just stared at the moderator was like holy shit like biden's on fire this debate so and, and so i'm glad he's got that going for him it was not a good debate for trump 
I'm surprised Trump didn't come back with, uh, oh, I'm, you know, he must have gotten a steroid shot right in his ass, pepped him all up before the debate, which, again, ultimate projection, because, you know, even though this uh, debate was definitely low energy, probably on quaaludes or something, Trump, um, there are definitely ones where I can see him doing a rail of Adderall in the bathroom before he jumps out on the stage. And he's yeah. got that like the, the first debate. I think it was definitely the strategy was to try to interrupt Joe Biden as often as he could and try to, um, you know, accentuate his stutter uh, and, you know, try to throw him off track that way. I think that was totally his debate strategy, but I think he definitely probably uh, railed an Adderall beforehand. Yep. Um, So Trump's a racist. He won't go to any places where bad stuff happens because black people are there and he'll probably get his ass whooped. Fair? Yep. Pretty fair. Plain and simple. I think that's pretty fair. And he, that, obviously, you know, him being the, um, again, big alpha Chad male, um, can't risk any kind of, um, you know, potential uh, snowflake kind of situations. Right. No way. Not his style. Um, all right. So that's uh, that's number two. Uh, you have any other final thoughts that you want to use or, or wrap up on that one? Or uh, No, that's basically it. I, I, I feel like that one's kind of self-observatory, I guess. But yeah, what makes that one tough a little bit is just that like we're white dudes. Um, right. So we can observe it on the surface level and be like, hey, that's fucked up and wrong. But like because we're never going to have to fully experience it and because we still have the benefit of having white skin and not having to like face that nonsense out there in the street every single day when we choose to step outside. Yeah, maybe we should just shut the fuck up about it. Yep. With that's, you. That, that's how I feel. Um, Number one. Number one, um, and, and again, these could be in any order, but Trump, Trump incites vi- violence. He incites violence. I don't think we've ever had a president who has been willing to turn American against American in such a way where he's basically calling for violence on the streets. You've got groups like the Proud Boys, like I said, a lot of the, you know, the right wing, um, like skinhead organizations and stuff like that that he panders to. And, you know, we saw it with the Gretchen Whitmer situation, the um, governor of uh, Michigan, but you know he's calling on states to like free. You know, oh, they're locked down for COVID, so free Michigan, free. I think Wisconsin. There were a few other ones that he threw out tweets for, and then these people go and literally plot to kidnap and potentially kill the governor of Michigan. Okay, fine. They they thwart the plot. Trump comes out like literally the day that that gets announced is like, oh well, but you know, you know, she really should like loosen up some of those uh, you know restrictions. As like. Her life was just on the line. Your Justice Department caught it, which you could choose to, ele- you could, you could elevate that point and use it, but, but he doesn't. He turns it on her immediately again. He's attacking her again, which is again, just, it's, it's a, it's a calling card to those organizations that, oh, hey, look, you tried, but she's still not loosening up the restrictions. And when you have, I, I like, I still cannot believe we have a president who, who's willing to engage in that. And then you like, like, we talked about a little bit, like we had the Kenosha shooting. We had a kid like kill two people. The cops don't do anything, but Trump doesn't say anything either. It's just like, and it's another one of those situations, not saying something is just as bad, if not worse as saying something. Well, and, on the Kenosha thing, man, I actually recently saw that clip like in the last couple of days of what he said about Kenosha. And what he did say was even more fucked up. It was the same. Uh, it was the equivalent of Charlottesville. You know, find people on both sides or whatever. But the Kenosha stuff, he's like, well, you know, I think we all saw the video and like references to the media. Like, we, I think we all saw the same video. Obviously, you know, there was danger. And, 
like doesn't really say exactly how he feels quite out right at, at the at the front. But at the end of it, he's like, you know, and he had to protect himself. Thus, you know, saying, all right, that's you sided with the shooter. But because you just walked us there very slowly and very calmly, which is not a Trump thing to do, you yep. lulled us into like, oh, look at this calm answer he's given about this thing. And let's not like react to the fucked up ending that we just heard. That drives me bananas about that guy. Yeah. Um, as far as the Gretchen Whitmer stuff, I mean, Michigan is not a state that's locked down. Like there aren't any more state lockdowns going on where, I mean, we're going to see if that changes in the next few weeks as the weather yeah, no continues kidding. to get colder. Cause we're in the middle of a surge right now. People please be safe right now, but he's tweeting liberate Michigan when there's no Michigan lockdown going on. It's people choosing not to go out to businesses. It's people who own businesses choosing not to open up because it's not a good time to be a business owner. Not a good time to. Uh, it's not a good. It's not a profitable time to be a business owner to try to redo your business in order to, uh, you know, fit new COVID regulations and how those regulations adapt. I do not envy any business owners right now. But for Trump to make that his thing, open up the state, liberate Michigan. It's like this isn't a state mandated thing just because the governor is asking that you guys wear masks. Cause that's really what the mandate is about. I think in a, and like, you know, probably other um, restrictions that I'm sure there are in other parts of the States as well. But when dude says liberate it, that just says to the guys who live out on the lakes, go take your government back. I guess I, I, it doesn't say that to me. It says to me that Trump is a fucking idiot and should have his Twitter taken away. But to guys in Michigan, they see liberate Michigan and say, I'm Michigan, liberate my state. The The president's given me the okay to do it. He doesn't agree with what's going on either. Exactly. And the end of your show last week, I think the the nicest way or like the simplest way <laughs> that I uh, describe Trump is that Trump is simple. He is a simple person. I'm not saying his cousin, uh, I'm not saying his parents were cousins. Maybe they were though. He's a simple guy. Yep. The people and he speaks that, that language. It, 100%. He speaks that language. And people who can't always discern truth from fiction get caught up and they see that somebody who's important as the president of the United States happens to agree with them and they feel emboldened and they feel empowered. And, you know, they got a gun maybe and they feel powerful and. They, that's the other thing too. If it, if it wasn't Gretchen Whitmer, I said this on the New Deal last week. If it wasn't Gretchen Whitmer, if it was some middle aged dude, I bet you it wouldn't have happened. But because Gretchen Whitmer is an attractive older woman, white woman, yeah, hell, if it yep. was a black woman, I wonder. Oh, I don't even want to think about what it could have been if it was a a, a black elected official. Yep, and a woman. Oh, yeah. I mean, Trump probably wouldn't have said anything. Uh. So, I don't know, man. It, but then within to, to be back there within 10 days at a rally being like, hey, yeah, I, I guess there was some threats. Ugh. And then the locker up chant starts and he doesn't, yeah. you know, shut him up. He doesn't shut him down. He, yeah, lock her up. Ha ha ha. He laughs. He said, lock them lock, all up. It's like, lock oh my them God, all dude. Yeah. And it, 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 and the worst part for like, I think li liberals especially is that like you can, you can hear Obama, right? Like, oh, plot, plot to kill the government. You can hear Obama like, you know. This is very serious. Like, this will not be tolerated in America. These people will be, you know, prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Like, you can hear it in your head. And then you don't get it from Trump. And then people wonder, like, why Democrats are like, are we going to have a civil war? Like, is that is that on the table? Like, it might be on the table. The election's coming up. We don't know what's going on. It's like, is that on the table? It might be. We don't know because Trump 
doesn't seem to be opposed to the idea. It, it's just like it, it too too much is open ended. You know, too many possibilities. Shut that shit down. Yeah. Um, I think in addition to like the public inc- incitement of, of violence that we've seen a little bit of, I think, you know, just making people feel that their behaviors or, you know, their thought processes that revolve around, you know, race, like v- validating those for people and making them feel okay and confident to come out and voice those things publicly, whether it's on Facebook or at these, you know, super right wing demonstrations or whatever. It's, uh, I just don't know how you put that away. You know, like right. All, we talked a little bit about on your show last week about, you know, how on the other side of this, how do we, cause we talked a lot about police reform and how sometimes Um, unfortunately the police and, you know, these racist groups kind of bump up and kind of intermingle somewhat. And how do you, um, you know, kind of reform how police are trained and how they're hired. And we talked a lot about that last week. It's the same kind of idea. Like, you know, ideally we get Trump out of the white house and we have a new administration in there, but now that these people have been out there so openly with these very wrong, very fucked up views on race or, you know, abortion rights or whatever. How do we know that they're going to not continue to feel emboldened? How do we know they're not going to continue? They're not going to continue to be, you know, super extremists about it. How do we know that the next set of QAnon-esque conspiracy theories aren't going to be about how Democrats and the new world order rigged to have the Democrats and Joe Biden win the election. And now there has to be an uprising to come out and take the government back. Like if they're susceptible enough to believe all of the other stupid shit that they've accidentally believed over the last five years from this guy, I don't, I, I don't feel very confident about their ability to, you know, discern fact from fiction going forward. If he is voted out, if he's not voted out, I don't, I don't, really know how to feel um from there i just imagine that the situation gets worse and that he feels more emboldened if he does get voted out though i feel like because the trump unless these guys all go to jail i have lots of speaking of jail i have lots of cop cop sirens happening are they coming to get me oh no dude they might be so i also worry that even if Trump does get voted out, once every four years, we're going to have to worry about super right-wing fringe racist Republicans being like, Don Jr., you're up. You're the next contestant on. We want you to be the president. And then, yep. you know, Eric or Ivanka or whoever. Um, I don't want to have to deal with these people for the rest of my adult fucking life, man. I don't want to yep. do it. Yep. Well, and I feel need- like we might have to. Well, and you need you need groups like like the Lincoln Project. You need those people who are moderate in the middle to stand up and be like, you know what, that that's ridiculous. And you know what, we're we're never not going to shut them up. But as long as we can marginalize those people so that they don't have the power that they had with Trump, you know, their voices will die out. But they've been getting attention. They've been validated. There's echo chambers all over the internet. They've got you know you can't trust the media. So you know before it was like oh you know politicians would come out and they would you know, discourage behavior. The media would come out and they would discourage the behavior. They'd cast it in negative light. Now they don't care because they can't trust the media. The media is lying. So, you know, the, the, the tagline for my show is compassionate politics. 
And all the things that like I've listed here, everything that like I talk about is based on like the idea that like you need to bring it to a human level. So, you know, racism isn't okay. It's not okay to talk to people in a disrespectful way. It's not okay to like be mean or cruel or stuff like that. And I think even Trump supporters can relate to that on some level. There's some really terrible people out there. But like, I feel like if you're like, oh, like, hey, if your mother's sick and dying, like, do you think she should be able to go to the hospital and like live? Like, I feel like nine out of 10 people, probably more than that, are going to be like, yeah, definitely. I care about my mom, right? Like, but no one's hitting that, that like level right now. And so I feel like the moderates in the middle, like people in the Lincoln Project, along with the Democrats, you know, the Democrats and Joe Biden have a responsibility, I think, to start hitting those points because there needs to be outreach to the Trump supporters, which which sounds counterintuitive and it sounds counter, you know, sounds shitty because we've been dealing with their bullshit for four years and they've been trolling all over the Internet. And it's like, well, we don't really like those people. Right. But but you can bring them into the fold and do some work there, but it has to be on that level. Like we care about you. We care about your life. We want to make your life better. Here's what we're doing. And then you need to prove it. And you know, if the Democrats do get any type of control, we need to be super fucking hard on the Democrats and be like, you know what? It's you need to get the shit done. Cause if you don't like, it's just more people losing faith in the system. So yeah, no vote Democrats and then hold them accountable. A hundred percent. Um, I do want to double back though. You said compassionate politics is the tagline for your show. Um, uh, we have covered the top five here and given that the compassionate politics part is how we kind of spun out of the number one spot there. Um, before we do like a full Borat breakdown, um, compassion plays into this one scene in particular in Borat that I wanted to make sure that we talked about. So we're definitely going to talk about the Rudy Giuliani thing in a minute, but there's this other scene. Um, if you weren't, um, you know, around or weren't like, you know, watching movies because we have a, a little bit of a younger audience. Uh, when the first Borat movie came out, some of that movie was confusing because, you weren't sure which parts of it were scripted, which parts of it were staged. And, you know, you, you kind of wondered, like, how is it possible that this guy not only pulled off all of these, you know, really funny pranks, but then got people to sign, um, you know, the disclosures to allow them to use it for the film. So the, when when the news of Borat 2 came out, I automatically thought to myself, what's well, going to have to be a more scripted thing because everybody knows who Borat is. Um, how the hell do you make a Borat part two and have it be, you know, blur that line between reality and, and you know, this scripted thing again. And they do it masterfully. Um, there is and it's it's usually by way of disguise, like Borat will be Borat, but disguised as someone else. But there are uh, certain people that he meets throughout the the film that he meets them in full Borat attire. He's got the voice on, does the whole shtick and everything. And they just don't seem to know who he is, and they treat him as a normal person. There's two instances of it that are very notable uh, for me. Uh, there's also the really funny old man who runs the the fax machine shop. Like he's kind of cute, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's the, there's an older black woman who ends up being the babysitter for Borat's 15 year old daughter. Um, he talks to her in full Borat attire, and she seems to be none the wiser as to who he is. And there's these two. Southern gentlemen. Well, although they're not Southern though, because they're in 
Washington State, right? Washington State, yeah. So I thought that it was like in Texas or Georgia when I first watched it, but we've read a couple of articles since. It's in Washington State, so I don't want to call them Southern, but we'll call them right-wing gentlemen who maybe are a little outdoorsy. So yeah. Borat shows back up in the, and that's, and this is the scene that I want to talk about. Um, these two guys have seemingly no idea who he is. Borat, uh, comes back to the States, uh, without his daughter for, you know, the second arc, uh, the second act of the movie. And he's in a parking lot and he sees that there's like nobody really around. And, uh, there's this guy getting into his truck and he's like, Hey dude, where is everybody? You know, but in a Borat voice. And uh, the guy tells him, again, he's getting into a pickup truck. He looks very American. <laughs> and, you know, he lets him know, like, hey, man, yeah, there's a there's a virus going on. They're telling everybody to quarantine. And, you know, they got to wear masks and social distance, whatever. And, again, how do you do a Borat 2 and not have it be all scripted? I'm thinking that this is a scripted thing in my brain. This scene plays out. I figured it would be, you know, oh, there's a quarantine, and then we move on to the next thing. And and Borat instead says, oh, okay, well, I don't have anywhere to go. Can I stay with you? And I expected the guy, you know, again being very much a Republican, middle of the, you know, middle of the woods outdoorsman picking up beer and gu- like ammo. I think I think he was at a gun shop actually. Um, I don't think it's made implicitly clear in the scene that it's the parking lot of a gun shop, but they. He asks him if he can stay with him. And the next scene is them just driving back to this guy's house. And Borat goes and stays with this guy for, I guess, like five or six days. Five days, yeah. And introduces him to his other buddy. I think it's Jim and Jerry. Are those their names? Uh, definitely definitely Jerry, because that's my name. I, uh, but I, and then I'm not sure what that might have been Jim. It might have been. So let's just I, call him Jim and Jerry. Jim and Jerry. Uh, Jerry with a J, not a G, though. Um, so he brings them or they bring him back to this house and they just let him stay there. Just met him 30 seconds ago in the parking lot. This, you know, ridiculous sounding, very evidently foreign guy. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, maybe they're liberal, maybe not liberal, but maybe they're a little bit more understanding. Maybe they're not like, you know, a full right wing conspiracy theory nut and it doesn't take very long for them to divulge that they are very much into QAnon and they hate Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and all this shit and at this point I'm like this is all fake like to have so much of the movie revolve around the interaction with these two guys like it moves the plot forward in two different ways he stays with them long term and then they help him um, get back in touch with his daughter a few scenes later. Um, I couldn't believe that these guys who are fully buying into this crazy, xenophobic, racist, conspiracy theory shit would just pick up a random, you know, Kazakhstanian dude in a parking lot and give him a place to stay for five or six days. And not only that, but like actually kind of get along with him despite cultural dis- differences. I do imagine they probably got along once they both realized that they hated Jews. And I'm sure <laughs> Sasha yep. Baron Cohen probably leaned into that one. Happy that to, uh, yeah, he had to survive for those five days. So 
I come out of this movie thinking to myself, well, those are some interesting scripted scenes that show the true dichotomy of America within one or two characters. These people who are willing to open up their door and their hearts to, you know, this guy from a foreign land, not only some guy from a foreign land, but like the most exaggerated version of a guy from a foreign land who is in need and has nowhere else to go. And he asks him politely and he says, yeah, sure, man, come stay with me. That was a really heartwarming, unexpected, beautiful turn in that movie. And for a second, I thought to myself, well, that means they're probably not a racist, but they, but they were. And it's like, how can those two people exist within the same person? How could you openly, op- you know, openly um, take in a stranger like that who is so not Amer- not an American, especially when you're, you know, being an American is hitched so strongly to your only sense of identity, it seems. How can that person also be like, I hate, you know, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Mexicans? Like, how can those two people be the same person? Yep. It made well, no sense to me. I thought it was the power of movies, but it turns out it was real. I don't know, man. It was, yeah, it was, it was all real. And, and I, you know, watching it, I thought it might be, but I had the same kind of, you know, skepticism as you did, because there were other things that were going on, like in the house that were like, there's no way they're okay with that. But like, but I I think it's really telling moment when when he asks, like, I have nowhere to, when Boris says, like, I have nowhere to go, you can see the guy's gears turning. And, like, you know that, like, he knows it's the right thing to do to let this guy stay with him. And, and like you said, he doesn't say yes in that moment. You don't see it till the next scene. But, like, you can see that impulse to, like, be a good person. And then he brings him back to the house. And, like, again, you know, you think that these are, like, you know, because it's not evident that it's Washington either. Like, you find out like when we read the article, but it's like, oh, these are like maybe some like redneck guys, like big into guns, big into like conspiracy theories, like out in their cabin in the woods or whatever. But so he spends five days with them. And it's like, at one point he's like running around the house, dancing with a strap on like dildo hanging <laughs> off of him. And they're like, they're sitting in the chair and like, they're not even looking at him. Like they're not even like bothered by it. It's like almost like the most normal thing ever. And then they're like writing a song together and they're like going on the internet looking up stuff and like he accidentally orders fleshlights and then they're like haha this is like hilarious and it's like you have this you have a foreigner in your house who's like wearing a strap on dancing around writing songs with them it's completely normal it's completely normal they are not like thrown by it's like okay there's humanity like you said it's like the best of humanity and this is where we get into trouble with identity politics the reason people talk the way they do about things like QAnon, Hillary Clinton, everything like Hillary Clinton drinking the blood of like children or something, which yeah. they said, it's like they think that those things and those people are legit a a threat to America. And it's OK to say it. It's OK to think those things and feel those things because it's a threat to your country. So it's not being a racist. It's protecting America. It's not being xenophobic. They're a threat to America. And, and they spin it off that way. And then you get that weird thing. And I've, you know, I've, I've talked about, you know, I haven't blocked anyone or unfollowed anyone on Facebook, despite having a lot of friends who say a lot of stupid shit, you know, it's like, because I know that like, and we, like, we have a mutual friend. It's like, we know he's a good person, like great heart. They have a great heart. They treat people well. It's like, how do you say that stuff? And it's because it gets justified as like protecting your country, protecting Americans. And then you see, like, like you said, like it's kind of a heartwarming, like it's hilarious. It's hilarious to watch, but they're real people. 
who think completely different than we do about politics anyway, and you, you hit that compassionate note, it's like, they're going to take care of someone who's a stranger who's in need because you don't register those political thoughts when there's a human being suffering in front of you or in need of help. So I can't remember exactly what the question was, but Bora asks them, uh, what do you consider to be a bigger threat to America, something or Democrats? And uh, the guys respond, Democrats. Yeah. And Bora. It was COVID. It was COVID, I think. Oh, COVID-19 or Democrats. COVID-19 or Democrats. And they, you know, kind of just like kind of smile and they say Democrats and they shake their head. And um, he says, Borat says something like, you know, it's it's crazy that their vote, you know, counts like yours. Uh, you, their vote, maybe their vote shouldn't count. And the guys actually stop and say, yeah, but, you know, that's not how it works. Everybody's got a vote. Unfortunately, we all have the same vote. So that's how the country works. I'm like. Okay, and, and women too, because Bart was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you let women, you let women do stuff," and they're like, "Oh yeah, man, like w- women think, like they women get jobs, drive cars, like, they drive cars, like they do all this stuff. Like women have a right to say like everything that men, and like they were like really defensive of like women's rights, and it's like." Well, like, at least on the surface of, of you yeah, know, in did, relation yeah. to Borat's views, let's see how they feel about abortion. I don't think we got there with them. Maybe we did, but right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Just to see moments like that where it's like, Hey, you know, we're not all painted with the same one broad brush, but you can tell that so many of the hateful things that came out of their mouths are just because they're caught in their own respective information silos of Fox news and YouTube algorithms and, Tim Pool and all that nonsense bullshit content out there that just corrupts people's brains into thinking that, you know, they're somehow smarter or more aware when it's like, you know, Occam's razor, dude, uh, the thing, the the simplest explanation for the things that are going on is most likely to be the, uh, the explanation. Um, so yeah, that's definitely the scene that I wanted to stop and highlight the most. It's been the one that I've been thinking about the most and it was a really good movie overall. I think I prefer the first one. Um, but this one has much more, um, I don't want to say this one's more political than the first one because they're both very political movies, but this one I think is much more focused in its message to the point where you know the final scene wraps and you know the before the credits roll it says no go vote. Um, so it's a very politically minded movie. I do want to go watch it again though, and I think it's because of the characters of Jim and Jerry. Um, what did you think of the Rudy Giuliani scene? Uh, it first of all. I, I still don't understand how Sasha Baron Cohen gets access to these people. Like, I still don't understand how they set up a fake interview with Rudy Giuliani with like what, who's clearly like a, like a foreign Russian reporter. I guess they tried to spin the daughter. Like, I don't know. I don't know how they get that kind of access, but you know, I think it, I, I'll, I'll never understand why people vote for Trump or people like him, but you, you the Rudy Giuliani scene is everything that has been like launched against Trump, like every accusation, like you just see like exactly how that would play out with any like rich, like semi pedophilic person. It's like, you've, you've got a guy who's immediately like flirtatious and like, you know, to her, uh, not credit, but like, she's clearly trying to flirt with him a little bit, but like, he is not at all like hesitant about it. And he is all about like the touching and the leaning forward and touching your leg and comforting. And Oh, oh, honey, this sweetie, that. And it's like, this is a super freaking old guy. She, she, she seriously looks like 17 or 18. She can't look any older than that. Like, I didn't think she did. And then like, she, she's like, Oh, do you want to go to the bedroom? And like, he doesn't even think about yeah, it he, no, he just like he, he, he gets up and, right up and he just follows her right in it's like like this is this shit is real 
Like, I know this isn't a comedy movie, and it's Rudy Giuliani, who's goofy anyway, but it's like, this is how this shit happens. Like, when you talk about, like, a Jeffrey Epstein situation where, like, young girls are just, like, brought around rich guys, like, that's it. That's all it takes. And it's like, so when you have doubts about people, like, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever. When you hear stories about rich people doing shit like this, and then you can see it happen this easily on camera, like, there's a camera in the room. Like Giuliani, yep. like is he? He's not and unaware he still of that. Doesn't, there is a sound guy in the room. There's a boom operator in the room, and he's still being as handsy and creepy as he is. And it's just like the sense of entitlement. Yeah, entitlement is one way to put it, but I would just say like brazen, like I don't give a shit energy. Like uh, he he runs in that room. So the way in which he tried to spin it preemptively to the press was, um, you know, he's taking off his microphone and retucking in his shirt. Okay, um, I can kind of see why he would take that approach because homegirl is holding the microphone, just took hers off. As, um, but why are you taking the microphones off, Rudy? We just saw that you didn't do the interview. Um, the other thing is that's not as damning. Like, all right, you 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 <laughs> you laid down and tuck your shirt in. Okay, sure you did. The most damning part of that entire exchange is after Borat runs in to try to break it up or whatever and he's got on the lingerie and Rudy sees him and how he's dressed and he goes why are you dressed like that I don't want you implying that he wanted something and it was not Borat in lingerie yep. but that young blonde girl and that girl is very pretty she's like a 24 25 year old a Bolivian actress, maybe. I don't know where Sasha Cohen, uh, Sasha Barrett Cohen found her, but she was really fucking funny. And like the first act of the movie, she's like feral, you know, forgotten <laughs> daughter living in the barn or whatever. And she does that physical comedy stuff. Very, very funny. And then she gets a mid, uh, a, a makeover midway through the movie. And then the whole, you know, um, picture plot of the movie is they have to go gift her to, um, to Michael Pence, great vice president, Michael Pence to make up for Kazakhstan's uh, derogatory standing in the world, basically. Uh, but eventually they just settle on Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> and that, well, yeah. And, and that was kind of the genius of the movie too. You talked about the anonymity before. And it's like, she, she carried a lot of that, you know, her, you know, she was as good as Sasha Baron Cohen is at playing off ridiculous stuff as serious to crowds of people. And so, you know, that allowed him to kind of like be involved, but she carried a lot of it and she was awesome at it. So she did. It, it was genius the way that he was able to conceal his identity through a second movie because I I didn't think it was possible. So I did read something in one of those articles that you'd sent me that um, it, there's the one scene where they go to like, you know, the debutante ball in Georgia and they try to teach her to be a lady and they have a, a dance scene, we'll call it. Um, <laughs> I guess that there was some kind of like staffing or you know casting rather um for that scene and they paid like people like a 100 bucks a head but it was under the false pretenses of we're filming like this old timey kind of thing and blah 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 so um some of those that scene was <sighs> kind of gross um if you don't know what i'm talking about and you have a prime account <laughs> you need to go watch it but before that was even you know started or before that scene took place i guess they did like online testing to see who would and wouldn't recognize sasha baron cohen in and out of disguise online before they would or wouldn't get the job so 
I don't know. I, who the fuck didn't see Borat 15 years ago, man? Uh, old people and young people. Like, because it's 15 years ago. Like, there's probably like 12 and 13 or 14, 15 year olds out there who never saw it because they were like three. There's maybe. This, there's have a you scene... ever, how many times have you rewatched Borat? Like, in the last yeah, five but, years? All right. I know that I've definitely watched it one time since quarantine because basically when I found out Borat 2 was coming out, I probably watched it less than six months ago. But before that, it probably been close to 10 years. Yep. Yeah. Dude, not to interrupt, but like I do want to, because in that scene in in the Georgia thing, he's got his daughter there and he goes up to another old fucking rich guy and like he leans in and he's like, you know, ha ha, ha, like how much would you pay for my daughter? You're very pretty. And the guy who has his own like 15 year old daughter standing next to him is like, oh, you know, 500 bucks. And his daughter's like turns around like that's fucking gross. And it's like it's the same shit as Giuliani, man. It's that same rich old white guy mentality that like you feel like you can say that shit in front of your daughter to the dad of another girl like standing right next to you. Like I. You know Everything, what that, everything's so fucked up, man. You know what that made me think of was, and this is a complete right turn from where we've been, but kind of stick with me. It kind of makes sense. Um, it reminded me of the movie Taken and the scene wherein the girl who has been, you know, as the name implies, Taken, uh, gets auctioned off to a bunch of rich, rich white dudes through the, you know, the bidding line or whatever. And, uh, like that guy who said I'd give her five hundred bucks, I could picture that guy like being one of the bad guys that gets his ass whooped by Liam Neeson within that. Yeah, scene. seriously. Um, it's basically the country is run by a bunch of dudes who would be at the auction scene in the movie Taken with Liam Neeson, trying to buy young underage girls to sell into sexual slavery for the rest of their lives. But in reality, you know, they got, you know, a family, white picket fence, hot wife and, you know, three kids at home. Everything's on the up and up, except they got enough money to, you know, be in the movie <laughs> taken with Liam Neeson and be in this weird scene that I keep alluding to. Um, that was the same energy that guy had. Liam Neeson yeah. deserves to punch that guy in the fucking throat. And and he deserves throat. to be punched in the throat. He does. And, and like, but honestly, like, and I don't want to get like too like academic on this shit, but like. If you think like if you really look at this movie and I've only seen it one and a half times, they hit on feminism, they hit on abortion, they hit on like this underage pedophilia type shit. They hit on like healthcare to an extent. Like uh, and the, oh my god, the plastic surgeon's office. Like like <laughs> like th- there are so many scenes in this movie where it's like it, it seems ridiculous and it's absurd, but like he's systematically like methodically hitting on like all these major issues of like moral and ethical you know, standards in America and like showing you straight out how people think on this shit. And it's like, uh, like I died laughing at like the majority of the scenes, but like that it's, it's the genius of Sasha Baron Cohen. Like as an entertainment movie, Bora number one might've been better as like art. Like, and I know that sounds weird to say about Sasha Baron Cohen, but it's very South park. It's like as yeah. art, like this movie stands up like this. I, I think it's award worthy. As a political- I think it's, I'm just going to say it. As a political commentary, it's definitely uh, a little bit more. I mean, I haven't watched Borat, the first one, in a, in a minute. But th- that plastic surgery scene when he's $72 short and he goes oh. out and he gets a job as a barber and he just gives that one dude a haircut <laughs> and he fucking cuts his hair and shows him every little bit of it. And the guy in the chair is just like so nice about it and just like 
goes along with them because he doesn't want to be rude to the foreigner. <laughs> yep. It's, oh man, dude, it's great. It's great. The whole movie. Oh. I'm so I'm so glad you asked me to watch it because like I I never would have gotten around to it and like it has made it has made my day. It made my day. Hell yeah! Everyone listening, um, like go watch it right now. Like put everything down. Borat like stop too. your life and yeah, go watch we, it. We've only had some light spoilers. All right, it's still very much worth the watch. And I haven't done the Borat voice really one time at all. So you're welcome. Imagine we've only talked about like five percent of the movie. Yeah, imagine all the funny stuff we've talked about, but topped off with that actual movie and an actual Borat voice. Um, all right, so those are. I want to stop on... recording. I want to stop recording. I want to go back and redo this whole segment, but we both have to talk in Borat voice the whole time. Nice, my <laughs> wife. <laughs> that's all I got. Um, so yeah, that's the top five reasons. That's our thoughts on Borat too. The final call to action here, Jerry. Um, you know, make sure you guys get out there and vote. Uh, specifically to my friends in Pennsylvania, my friends in Michigan, my friends in Wisconsin. Florida, Arizona, my friends there, please, 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 please go out. If you've already voted, awesome job. Go out and get several more friends of yours and family members of yours to vote. These swing states are going to be what decides me here in Rhode Island, whether I cast a vote or not, we're still going to vote for Biden. Um, if you see but, a name on the ballot that looks like a like a like Nordic figure skater type name, just avoid that. That's a scam. Like don't don't put anything next to that name. Like it shouldn't even be on the ballot. They messed up. Like it, it's on the news. Like they they basically say we printed it, but don't look at it. Like you just have to look past it. So don't put anything next to that name. Are you talking about Joe Jorgensen? What? Who's that? Exactly. So I've already done my libertarian rant uh, a few weeks back on Super Dope as a precursor to. Um, I think it was me and Aunt Grimulia's episode about Goten and Trunks, I want to say. Uh, I did a little pre-bumper on the presidential debate and about how all my friends who decided they were sub- suddenly libertarians after that debate. Uh, I did a similar rant on the New Deal on Jerry's podcast uh, for part one of this discussion. It's powerful. So it's, it's just, you know, take the five minutes. I got one friend in particular who lives in Pennsylvania who is a good buddy of mine. And if you hear this... You know who you are, Royce. Stop being stupid about it, man. All right? I know that she's good for the memes. I know that she likes guns and legal weed and gay marriage. I'm glad that she likes those things. Those should not be the reasons for which you buy into political party. Those should basically be bare minimums on anyone's political party. That's just my opinion. Yep. Uh, look into what unfettered capitalism actually means. They're asking the people who push for unfettered capitalism are the same people who know how capitalism works so well that they'd like to undo the rules so that way they could then profit from them. God damn it, people. Please ask who is pushing forward these narratives and why, when they're doing it, how they're doing it, and more importantly, why they're doing it to you because they know that you are somewhat politically disaffected. Cut it out. Stop falling for the wrapping paper. Open up your GDIs. Sheeple. All right. And Sorry, I, and Jerry. I, go ahead. Well, and I feel like I can say this on your show because, you know, your your listener base probably isn't going to be listening to a lot of like, you know, my political podcast. But if you guys are sick of politics invading shows about like, you know, Dragon Ball Super Dope and you just want to talk Dragon Ball and you're like, why the hell are these guys talking politics? Then vote for Joe Biden because you will never have to hear about politics again. The only reason that this is even happening is because Donald Trump's a moron. If you vote for Biden, put Biden in office, politics will disappear. You won't see it on Facebook. You won't see it on podcasts. It'll just, it'll just go away. So if you want to hear more about Dragon Ball, vote for Joe. 
dude, did you see how Trump threatened that the other day? He's like, the media, they want me to win too because they know nobody's going to care about politics once I'm out of office. And I'm like, dude, yeah, no, please. I want that to be the case again. I don't want to have to care. Not to say that I want to be uh, politically disaffected and not pay attention to things for that sake, but like, I don't want to have to like get 17 different news stories about how inept and or corrupt you are every single fucking day for four years in a row. I could totally go without that. Some boringness in politics would probably do really good in helping heal some of this country's psyche right now. Right. So exactly. Uh, make sure if you didn't, if you listened to part two here and didn't listen to part one, like I told you to do way back when at the beginning of this part two, go listen to part one, uh, the new deal. Uh, you can check it out. The new deal.com. That's new. N-U uh, for Jerry New Teeny. Uh, Jerry, man, thanks for coming on Super Dope. Hopefully we help people, uh, hopefully we help sway some people's opinions. Again, swear to God, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, and even you Florida people. For some reason, Florida seems in play, which is why, how, how, I don't know. But if you're in Florida and you're not voting blue, uh, maybe, you know, consider voting blue instead. Yeah, yeah, Texas too. Yeah. Pipe dreams. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Texas is probably, I feel like Texas is less winnable, but um, yeah, make sure you guys have a plan. Get out there, vote. If you haven't voted already, um, make your plan now. Get out to your city hall, all that nonsense. Um, get your return ballots in. We will be returning to regularly scheduled Dragon Ball programming uh, next week, I believe. I think I'm going to have another guest, though. Um, I, I all right, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll tell you what it is, Jerry. I I don't know if I'm gonna tell the listeners yet. So if this is the case and the listeners are hearing it, because I didn't like chop it off the end or whatever, I'm gonna ask the listeners to uh, remove their headphones and not listen to this part of the podcast where I tell them about what's coming up. So do that now. Uh, remove your headphones. Go. All right, so I think next week I'm going to have my dad and his best friend come on my show, and we're going to talk about how those two fucking nerds found Dragon Ball and how it subsequently resulted in me finding and embracing and becoming this huge Dragon Ball nerd who's grown up to be this guy who runs a Dragon Ball podcast 30 years later. So it's partially some of my own origin story in terms of being a fan, but also it's my dad's origin story and how it plays into my origin story. So I think... We're going to be recording that one on Monday the 2nd. Uh, we'll see if it happens. Um, also, uh, SS Goshen 4 and I have been in touch. Uh, we do plan to uh, find some time to re-record her episode. Basically, we had a uh, an episode planned to do vintage toy review for Dragon Ball stuff. Uh, she had uh, a passing in her family uh, like the day we were going to record, so she had to reschedule and uh, we're going to try to get that done probably sometime uh, toward the end of November, but definitely before Christmas. And then if there are any WMAC Masters fans out there, I might have something for you guys coming up to uh, for the 25th anniversary of that show that I'm sure maybe one or two of you have heard about. Um, that is still very much in the works as well, but... Uh, we'll have Ant back soon. We'll have Leonard back soon. All the regular Dragon Ball stuff. Thank you for listening for uh, upwards of 90 minutes now about mostly political stuff. Please go vote. If you don't, I will kick you in the nads. Thank you for coming to my super dope talk. Jerry, uh, where can people find you and, and all the stuff? 
Uh, you can guys uh, can head over over to thenewdeal.com. Uh, let's get all the podcasts, articles I write, things there. Find me on Facebook at Real New Deal on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, though I'm not very good at it, but I am there at The New Deal. Word. And there will be links for the show notes uh, to the first part of the episode and his website as well. Um, this is your first time listening to Super Dope. If you found your way over from The New Deal, and you like Dragon Ball, and maybe I didn't turn you off with all my political liberal bullshit, um, rate and subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube.com slash Dragon Ball Super Dope. Uh, basically, wherever you get podcasts, Super Dope's there. We're also in the country of India. I see you, India. You've been great for numbers, and I love you. Um, how do I end a, how do I end a show about politics, I guess? Uh I guess I gotta go old reliable. So that's the super dope uh, ending to na 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 na. But what's what's the, what's the lyrics about? Uh, all right, got it. Da na 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 na. Better go and get your book today. I'll I'll take that. Yep. That's, Sound good. That's fine. That's good. Super dope.